The silence from the accompanist is the signal to begin. Hope you're well on this cool, crisp fall day. It's nice to have changes in the weather. Hey, a few announcements. Immediately following church this morning in our fellowship hall, we will have a spaghetti luncheon. All of you are invited. There's enough food for everyone. Donations will be accepted to go toward our family life ministry, particularly our students' fall retreat. The fall retreat will be the 14th through the 16th, and Bryson, who's out there cooking at the moment, has a sign-up list. If you're interested as a student in going or interested in your student going, please sign up so that he can then contact you with information or answers to any questions that you might have. Mark your calendars for the 30th of this month for our fall festival. That'll be in a sunny afternoon. Uh, we'll have a hayride, hot dogs, a fun evening with our families and community. And then backpacks for Appalachia. I know we had those available last Sunday morning. They're due back in a couple of weeks. One thing we did not have available last Sunday morning was the informational sheet that tells you uh, what to put in them. And so if you're like me, you need to know what all goes in those. These are not the shoe boxes. These are the backpacks, but a very similar ministry that goes to um, the Appalachian region every year. So we do that in October. Then we do the shoe boxes in November. So we're grateful for everything that can be given uh, to those ministries. Hey, today we have Brother Ronnie Hopkins with us today. Where did Ronnie go? I know he... Okay, he's behind Terry. Try to behave over there beside Terry Harper, all right? We are blessed to have Ronnie from Nicaragua. We've sent several teams down through the years to support his ministry. I have so much love and respect for him and the ministry that he has there. Not just what they do, but how they do it uh, is, is very special in, in, in light of the Christian mission and the way that Ronnie functions there has actually enabled him to do some ministry there that not everyone has been able to do. So uh, he loves the people. He loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. He got here last night, landed uh, in Atlanta. And so we're his first stop while he's home for a few weeks. Uh, so Ronnie's going to share in just a few moments about the work there in Nicaragua. And we will take an offering at the end of the service to support that. But some of you may be regular contributors to the Acts 1-8 ministry that he has uh, so we're grateful for that as well, and maybe some of you might decide to be regular givers to that ministry. So Ronnie, thank you for being here, and we look forward to hearing more of what you have to say. So let's stand, and I'm going to recognize uh, Todd Hanley, who's going to come and read our passage of Scripture this morning, coming from the book of Revelation. Please be attentive and respectful as he reads and prays, because the passage will relate, I hope, to something I'll share near the end of my message. Todd, we're grateful for you, brother, and all you do. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to be reading this morning from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, and white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to be spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Lord, I come to you now, Lord, I just thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, you are so good to us. Lord, I thank you for what uh, Jesus did for us all on the cross, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just um, just be with us here today, Lord. I pray that you would just, uh, just let your spirit touch each one of us, Lord, and that we would not take that for granted, Lord, that we would, uh, that we would move and change and, and, and do what you'd have us to do. And, and not be lukewarm, Lord, to, but, to be, but to be on fire for you and not miss an opportunity to tell someone or show someone, Lord, what you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for Ronnie and Angie. Lord, I thank you that he's able to be here with us today, Lord, and I just pray that you would just continue to bless their ministry in Nicaragua. Lord, I thank you for Neil and, and his leadership. Lord, I pray that you would just, uh, just give him the word that you'd have him to, to speak to us today, Lord, and, and again, that your spirit would just touch our hearts. Lord, be with us as we sing and worship, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Good morning. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing There is a Fountain. Oh, 
going to continue worshiping this morning with singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
days and they just left you low. You don't need another dead end road. Can you hear him calling? Calling, calling out your name. Can you hear him calling? Calling, calling, come and be saved. Jesus is speaking, so listen for the sound. Sometimes it's a shout His voice has called the dead to life And calmed the raging sea And that same voice can set you free
Hey, let's go ahead and break the ice by welcoming him to Glenlock.
Buenos dias. Good morning. We bring you greetings from the people in the Church of Nicaragua. <clears throat> it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we're excited about this new ministry center. It's going to do, uh, do amazing things for the next five years. Our goal is to see how many leaders and pastors and missionaries we can train and send out. I love the Great Commission verse about going into all the world and making dis disciples. But let's don't forget that next verse. It says, teaching them to observe all things which I've commanded you. When we teach them, we train them. They go out and disciple. They win more, more uh, people to Christ. And that's our goal. We have a lot of young missionaries. I have about 18 I'm working with now that want to go and serve. And these missionaries don't want to serve you know, in their country as much as they want to go to the Muslim world. And what's so neat about Latin and South America, they can get in places that you and I would get our head cut off. Uh, unfortunately, and sometimes fortunately, God knows what he's doing, but these Nicaragua's friends with a lot of the countries that it's not too friendly to Americans. So they can get in and share the gospel. So uh, that's one of the big programs we're working on now. I'll make it real quick. Uh, we were able to do two schools this year, uh, two uh, water projects and a preschool. Dedicated all of them this year already. Uh, we had 17 more pastors and church leaders to graduate in our two-year program. Uh, we trained over 20 churches for, uh, and, and provided them with Sunday school material. We used flannel graph because you can use it over and over. There's no books over there for you to get to teach Sunday school. So we teach a lot of how to teach with drama, with, with uh, pro, uh, just using a rock, how to teach with, with, with symbols, uh, Sunday school, you know, bringing it back to the Bible. Uh, our, and let me just say, our missionary program, uh, we have one already leaving in November for Nepal. Uh, she'll be, she will be teaching English there and sharing the gospel where she can because it is a closed country. The gospel is not welcome there by the government, but uh, that's why we send missionaries. So be praying. I hope one day, I'm going to ask one day for y'all to support an international missionary um, It'll be a great thing, a $50 a month, $100 a month. I hope a lot of our churches will start looking beyond America and uh, trying to help the ones who can get in in the last days to bring the gospel. So uh, while I'm gone, my mission team there at the center, we have five working there. We have two missionaries living there, two young missionaries. Uh, I can't wait for Pastor Neil and James and, and Terry to, to meet them. They're dedicate. They're doing two uh, graduations on the leadership classes, and they've experienced that. Uh, the only thing, they're riding horses and mules four hours back into the mountains to do it. Can you picture Pastor Neil and James and Terry on four mules for four hours back in the mountains? I used to do it until I seen one slide on a bank and tumble over and roll down the bank. And I thought, my goodness, that would be me rolling down that bank with a horse on top of me. So I, I tell them, I'll just walk. But, uh, but anyway, thank you so much for the support and love that you give to the people of Nicaragua. Y'all are so faithful in many ways. There's people here that support us as missionaries. Some of you support projects. Some of you fathers in other churches support 
Uh, it's all God's work. And thank you so much. I just want to leave with you a verse that's meant a lot to me. This last week, I just can't get it out of my mind. It's found over in Psalms 103, starting at verse 2. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. And listen to this. And crowns you, crowns you with love and compassion. Sometimes we're not very lovable. Sometimes we don't have a lot of compassion. But thank goodness the Lord will crown us, will give us love and compassion for a dying world. I became a Christian when I was 18. That was 52 years ago. A uh, little Baptist church, shallow Baptist church down near Eastham Hill, Georgia. Um, got down on my knees. I knew I was a sinner. And I asked, I said, I want you in my heart more than anything in this world. And I meant that. And 52 years later, it's the most precious, most wonderful thing I ever did. So if you're out there today and you're just kind of dragging through life and you don't have much love and compassion, oh, how he wants to give you love. He wants to make you so excited. He wants to make you overflow with joy. But it's, it's only he can do that. The church can't do it. But if you ever have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can walk through anything. His grace is sufficient, no matter what you're going through this morning. I hope if you don't know him, and if you're kind of been cold and indifferent, that today you will say, Lord, pour out your loving compassion on me. Thank you so much. Okay, I think if our children leave now for Children's Church, we will, unless they've already gone. They already left, okay. Well, they missed Ronnie. They missed the best part. God has certainly crowned Ronnie with compassion and mercy. There's a love that we need, that we receive from God, as Ronnie so clearly not only believes and shares verbally, but he lives it with his life. And I've seen him in action, not only what he does, but how he does it. And, and, and to work with Ronnie is very, um, so cooperative, and he's so hospitable. So if you've never had a chance to be a part of something that, that he does there in Nicaragua, I encourage you to uh, listen up as we plan what, you know, what to do next. So thank you, Ronnie, for the grace that God has crowned you with, that you share not only with us, but the, the people of Nicaragua in, in, such a, in such a good way. So let's turn now, another passage we will look at is Luke chapter 22. We've been in the Gospel of Luke now for quite some time, and we are working through the last days of the earthly life of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. We saw last week where he was... In the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, Lord, not my will, but, but your will be done. Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. And so as the story unfolds, we come now to the night in which he was arrested. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 53. Verse 53, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is arrested. Jesus says in 53, While I was with you daily in the temple, 
you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. This hour and the power of darkness are yours. In verse 54, having arrested him and having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. And this is Caiaphas' house. So they bring him to the house of the high priest. But Peter, notice, is following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him. He is a Galilean too. Picked up on his accent. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, apparently through a window in the house, from the house, and Peter's down in the courtyard. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, Peter went out and wept bitter, bitterly. The men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him, and they were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. And then it became day, because it says, When it was day, the council of the elders, this is the Jewish Sanhedrin, when the council of the elders assembled, both chief priests and scribes, they led him away to their council chambers, saying, now they begin to question him and interrogate him. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. I will notate in verse 69 that it's in all caps in some of your versions because that is a direct quote from Psalm 110, a prophecy concerning the Messiah. So Jesus quotes Scripture, their source of authority, to answer their questions and to respond to their statements. From now on, he says, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And then they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I wish we had the tone there. All we have is the statement. And the statement is literally something like, You said it. Now, I know if it were me, my tone might would have been, 
You said it. <laughs> I'm just interjecting there who I am, and I'm not who Jesus is. So I really would love when we get to heaven to know the tone by which he answered this question, are you the Son of God then? He said to them, yes, I am. So then they said, what further need do we have? Man, they jump all over this. Say They are so eager to put him away. What further need do we have of testimony? We've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And with that, Luke concludes this pretty lengthy chapter 22. Father, we are grateful for the testimony and the confession and the faithfulness of Christ for where he is Pure and consistent and faithful, we fall short. We fall short of truth. We fall short of your law. Father, we've all failed like Peter. We are all fallen like those around Jesus who were beating him and mocking him and cursing him. Father, this shows me and us how desperately all of us need your grace. We pray, Lord, that we would open up our hearts and lives to you and have the kind of relationship that Brother Ronnie was talking about, an intimate relationship where we walk with you and, and, and listen to you and, and love you and serve you and love and serve others. Lord, we know that's possible because of the grace that you offer in Christ. Show us more of who Jesus is this morning. Through this text, in his name we pray, amen. This was a dark night. This was a dark night. I can't stop myself from reminding me and us that when I was little, I had a babysitter who would tell me later in the evening, dark, dark night stories. <laughs> in fact, uh, it's Joyce's daughter, Amy. Amy had a lot of good stories. Some of them, Joyce, were pretty scary. <laughs> Joyce says, I'm not surprised. But one of the favorite stories she would tell, and I later passed it on to my children, are the dark, dark night stories. Now, the tension builds, and there was a, it was a dark, dark night in a dark, dark world. And there was a dark, dark country in a dark, dark state. On a dark, dark street, there was a dark, dark house. And in that really dark, dark house, there was a dark room with a dark closet. And in that dark closet was a dark box. And in that dark box was a dark sock. And in that dark sock, there was a pink jelly bean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it <laughs> but man she had me right <laughs> what's going to jump out of the sock <laughs> uh, and now that I've got your attention through the text this morning we have a dark dark night but at the end of this dark dark night there is a light who is Jesus who is shining with grace and glory and purity and forgiveness. There are two really dark scenes at the beginning of this passage, and one is the failures of Peter. First, we have the failures 
of Peter. Now, I'm not going to go into this in much depth at all because a couple of weeks ago, we really did talk in depth about the three failures of Peter, the three denials. If you remember, Peter was so bold and so confident, Jesus, I will, I will die for you. I will go to prison for you. And then last week, he whips out a sword, and he's so going to take this situation into his own hands, and he's going to solve all of this with his violence and his brutality and his strength. He whips out that sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus did what? Jesus reaches up and heals the ear. So here we have Peter who's so bold and self-confident. He is the lead chief disciple. All these other guys, they will fail you. But me, I will not fail you. We have here recorded three failures. Back to back to back. He caves in cowardice to peer pressure. Peer pressure. Suddenly, he's not so strong anymore. Suddenly, he's humiliated. He's broken. He's introduced to the true nature of himself as a sinner. Now I'm getting more into where we were a few weeks ago when we dealt with this in depth, but let me just say, let's give us ourselves a warning. Success has destroyed more people than failure ever has. And it is our recognition that we all fail deeply in the expectations and standards that God has set for us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Peter, Peter just finally feels it for what it really is. We just don't get it. It's always something that happens to somebody else. And the Bible may teach it and the preacher may say it, but until you feel it in your heart of hearts, until it hurts you, we just struggle to get it. So in his lowest moment, though, in his time of failure, this becomes one of the best things that's ever happened to Peter because he now is going to live following the resurrection with dependency Let's go back to what Ronnie said. God is going to crown him with grace and mercy. And I'll move on by saying, do you remember what Jesus said to him? As Jesus forgave him? Peter's failure became the, the platform to forgiveness and grace and a new life that would impact and empower other people. So he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said it three times, corresponding to the three failures. Paralleling the three failures. Looking back to the three strikeouts in Caiaphas' courtyard. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Peter was grieved when he asked him the third time because Peter knew the connection Jesus was making. If you love me... Feed my sheep. Now, I'm so glad Ronnie's here this morning because if you want to know what it looks like to feed sheep, to feed Jesus' sheep out of love and gratitude for what he has done for you, then you saw it on the screen with the ministry that's taking place in Nicaragua. 
You feed people the gospel. You feed them water. You feed them medical supplies. You feed them school and education. You feed them dental care and on and on and on. All I'm saying is that this section of the scripture is really dark for Peter personally, but his darkness becomes light through the love and the grace of Christ, and it transforms Peter and the whole his future history of the church. Your failures, God can do the same thing with the failures that you and I have when we too because of our fear, because of our insecurity, because of whatever, when we too denied that we know Jesus Christ so adamantly with either our words or our lives. So the first dark scene is the failure of Peter. But the light of the world transforms that for a greater good. And the one who's forgiven much will love much, and that's exactly what happens in the life of Peter, and that potential is there for you and me. The second point I want to show, the second dark scene on this dark, dark night is the fallenness of humanity. The fallenness of humanity. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean by this is we have fallen so low that we cannot get up on our own, that we desperately need and only God can come down to save us and to rescue us, and that's what God has done for us in Christ. But if you want to know how low we can all sink, look at this scene and how these people treated Jesus in this passage. The cruelty, the injustice, the corruption... Luke marks this out for us. Look at verse 63. They hold Jesus in custody. This is the Lord of the universe and of freedom. They are binding the one who sets captives free. They're holding him. And then they begin mocking him. Making sport of him, making fun of him, having laughters at the expense of Christ. Mocking the one who was a great encourager to others. Just bullying him, toying with him. Then Luke says they were beating him. The other gospels tell us they were slapping him, they were spitting in his face. They're beating and slapping and spitting in the face of the Prince of Peace. The one who healed and loved and expressed in everything that he did the gentleness of service. They're blindfolding the one. They're blindfolding the one who opened eyes to see. And then to add insult to injury, they're hitting him, and then they're saying, who hit you? Prophesy. He's blindfolded, and they're just slugging. They're just bullying. They're just punching Jesus. If you're such a great prophet, tell us who just hit you. And they did many other things against him, blaspheming, cursing him. One of the, I had several pictures that came into my mind from my childhood, my past, my time that involved 
people mocking people, me mocking people, and other people mocking me. So I want you to think of times in your own life where you mock people, people mock you, you joined with a group that mocked you. But I think the thing that I'm going to share with you is something that when I played football with the rec department, we called bull in the ring. This actually reminded me more of something like bull in the ring. Now, if you never played rec football, let me tell you what bull in the ring is. You're in the middle. The rest of the team is around you. You've got your pads and equipment on. But then the coaches yell out a guy's name or in sequence they come one after the other and you're in the middle and you just take what every guy's got. And I don't know why I thought about this, but I guess because these soldiers and these leaders were surrounding Jesus and every single one of these guys just took whatever shot they wanted to take out of mockery and out of brutality to hurt and to, to, to disgust and to offend and to attack the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And let's not, not let us think that had we been there, we would have done the right thing. Because I know me well enough, you put me with the wrong group at the wrong time in the wrong place, and I know myself enough that I would have joined the mockery I would have joined the bull in the ring, and I would have taken my shot, and I would have used my words, and I would have done whatever I could to hurt and to blaspheme and offend the Son of God. So what I want us to see is how low humanity can go because of our natural enmity and hatred of God. What did Jesus, the gentle, humble, compassionate miracle worker, what did he ever do to deserve this? Why is Jesus so hated? Well, the Bible tells us. Men love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. The Bible tells us that darkness hates the light and hates the truth. So when we think about the contrast between the horrible nature of humanity and when we ask, and we see this happen sometimes either on social media or the evening news, how could they do this? Why are they doing this? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with you people, right? How could I do some of the things that I do? Well, the Bible tells us. By nature, we are children of wrath. And you and I must remember there are no exemptions and there are no exceptions. By nature, we are enemies of God. We are not at peace with God. And so we're not at peace with ourselves. And because we're not at peace with ourselves, we're not at peace with other human beings. And we often treat human beings as common rather than as sacred creations of the image of God. Jesus, on the other hand, and this is my third and final point, as we see the failure of Peter in the darkness that is, and the horrible nature of humanity, and the fallenness of humanity, and the darkness that this scene surrounding Jesus is in this moment. Here's the light there's the faithfulness of Jesus. 
who is light and life and truth and purity. If you look at this scene, if you look at this drama, is he not amazing? Is he not glorious? Is he not in complete control? Here's the thing. He could have stopped all of this at any moment. He could have called 10,000 angels. They are not in control of him. He is writing the story. He is writing the whole script. And they are not taking his life from him. He is laying it down on our behalf. So if you look at the interaction between Jesus and the Sanhedrin in verses 66 through 71, you see complete and utter faithfulness from God's Son. He is owning who he is. He is absolutely confident in his role. There are three phrases here describing Jesus in this particular part of the text. Look at verse 67. If you are the Christ, the anointed one, the anointed one, tell us. And in verse 69, he says from the text, he is faithful to confess where Peter was afraid to confess and where Peter denied the truth, Jesus here comes out and he shares the truth, the word of God. The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And then in verse 70, well, are you the Son of God? We give here three roles that Luke tells us about the nature of Christ. He is Messiah, he is Son of Man, and he is Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Son of Man, and he's the Son of God where at any point he had the power and all authority to stop this, he submits completely to his role, and he is faithful to the hour that the Father had appointed him out of trust and out of love and out of devotion. A lot of attention in the last few weeks was given to the fact that the queen passed. You heard a lot. One of the most interesting things I heard was from one of the Beatles, Paul McCartney. He said about the queen, she was amazing. She was royalty, so we all looked up to her. But she was also so down to earth. Here we have that utter, infinite contrast between one who was absolute authority and royalty over the universe but so down to earth that he identifies with broken, fallen, sinful humanity and allowing himself, allowing himself to be insulted and beaten and bruised and sacrificed out of faithfulness to his Father and love for you and me. Never has one so royal and so majestic, been treated so, so down to earth. In fact, Jesus is going to go literally into the earth in Luke chapter 23. My whole point is that if you look at this particular scene following two dark moments in the life of Peter and all of humanity, you have the glory and the faithfulness of Christ. In fact, the high priest is so offended by the authority and the statement of Jesus in verse 69 because he is declaring emphatically and clearly to be all three of those. The Messiah, the Son of Man, and the Son of God with this phrase in 69 
coming straight from their authoritative text in Psalm 110. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, you and I, in a circumstance like this, if we were being beaten and humiliated and insulted and facing injustice and wrong, we might say to ourselves, what have I done to deserve this? And if you're honest with yourself, you could probably come up with a few things that prove that, yeah, you, you might would deserve this. But as they mock and beat and brutalize and captivate Jesus, what does he say? He looks ahead and he says, what am I going to do to deserve this? Not what have I done, but who am I and what am I going to do? And what he's going to do is become the atoning sacrifice so that guilty fallen sinners like you and me can not only be forgiven, but transformed and ultimately seated at the right hand of glory with the Heavenly Father. That's the joy that was before him that enabled him to endure the, the, the brutality and the injustice and the crimes of humanity against God. Jesus, here, he absorbed all that darkness. Let me say that again. Jesus soaked up all the darkness of Peter's sin and failure and of humanity's brutal, cruel nature. Jesus absorbs all of that on himself and then he transforms it and turns it to light, meaning he redeems it. He redeems it. He takes what is dark, death, wrong, sinful, and cruel and redeems it and works it for good. Isn't that amazing? Now, I see illustrations like this all over the place. And you would, too, if you had to preach every Sunday. <laughs> you'd start looking for things and using things that you never imagined you could use if you had to do this every Sunday. So last night, my team, Georgia, almost lost at Missouri. Any of you see that? <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> Roll Tide. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. There it is, the arch enemy. Just joking, Debbie. Did any of y'all see the graphic near the end of the game on Stetson Bennett where it said that Georgia's quarterback, the mailman, a graphic stated that his, his parents went to the University of Georgia, but then it said something about his grandfather. <laughs> and it literally said his grandfather was both a moonshiner and a Baptist preacher. Man, only in South Georgia, right, can you be both a moonshiner and a Baptist preacher. Not just South Georgia where he's from. But then they started talking a little bit, and the commentator said something like, how in the world can you be both of those? And then it twisted a little bit to how can you go from being a moonshiner to becoming a Baptist preacher? How can a life go through such a radical change? And here's why I bring that up. The enemies of God and of Christ, Jesus said to them, If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer it. 
meaning they were so deeply embedded into their pride and their autonomy and their sin that they were not honestly, objectively listening to the truth. They were so entrenched in the truth that they were never going to choose to change sides from their side to the side of Jesus Christ. And that's why he handled the Sanhedrin the way he handled the Sanhedrin. It's the way some of you handle these political ads that you get mailed every single day. You already know who you're going to vote for. <laughs> but they're still trying to convert you. And you're tossing in the trash because you say, hey, my mind's already made up. And there's nothing you could ever do and nothing you could ever say about your candidate or my candidate that's going to move me from where I am to where you want me to be. Here's the million dollar question. If Jesus were to ask you, and he's asking you, <laughs> he's asking you through the word and through the preacher. The question that he asked to Peter. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not who does Neil say that he is. Not just who Ronnie say that he is. Who do, who do you say Jesus is? He's asking you that question. And then the other part is, if he told you, would you believe him? What would it take? I've often thought the only way that I would convert from Georgia to Alabama, and, and there, there is a way. There is a way. I thought of it. I've thought about this, and I've thought about this. There is a way that I would convert. You want to hear it? If one of my sons <laughs> played quarterback for the University of Alabama, hey, I'm not joking. It's... <laughs> The only chance I got is Bennett, and he's a tennis player, so I think now he's out. <laughs> what about you? On that particular day, if my son was quarterback for Alabama, guess what? Roll Tide. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. There is a love, and there is an allegiance... And there is an authority out there in the universe that's stronger than anything else in the world. And it's family. And it's love. And it's grace. I think I'm going to close with that. Because if you can look at this man, Christ, and if you can say in your heart of hearts, my mind is made up, you, you're not going to move me from where... And I'm not just talking about salvation, because every week we're making announcements about Bible studies and service projects, and then they bring in missionaries talking about going and giving to Japan and going and giving to Nicaragua, and you're in and you're out, and you're in and you're out, and you say, y'all ain't moving me a bit. Some of us are in that particular case. You're saved but you're stuck and you're not going to move from that point you're at to 
anywhere and you're going to keep tossing those things in the trash because your mind is already made up? Man, if you can read Luke 22 and stay just like you are, I, I, I don't have anything, anything else for you. But there is a way for people to be moved. From moonshiner to preacher. <laughs> and from Georgia to Alabama. But the only thing that will do it is love. Someone said a man will either be saved by grace or not at all. Look at what God did for you and me. There's the darkness of failure. There's the darkness of the fall. But there is the light of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And that's the light he gives to you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the love that you have for us. This, this scene is very humbling because not only do I see the way that truth and life was treated by humanity, but, but I know that, that that's who I am as well apart from grace. We are not honest with ourselves because we love ourselves and we love our control and we love our autonomy. But Lord, to be honest, we are fools. We are fools fools because we don't completely daily strive to live for you and your glory and we're settling I'm settling for, for lesser things thank you for taking this for us so that we might not only be forgiven and changed but destined to live in glory with the king of glory the Son of Man, who will be seated in glory. And all of that was through the vindicating power of the resurrection on the third day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing one of my favorite songs. Thank you, Catherine. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's sing.
earlier announcements. We have spaghetti lunch. It's a fundraiser for our youth. But hey, come and eat, even if you didn't come prepared to give, because there will be, I, pr I promise, plenty of food. Uh, a couple of prayer requests, then Mr. Wayne's going to announce a Bible study. Miss Alice Wells has asked us to pray for her oldest brother, James Jones, who's in LaGrange on dialysis. So, James Jones, and I thought this was interesting. Her great nephew goes to Auburn. He was hurt in a game. A muscle was pulled away from his elbow. His name is Tate Johnson, and I've heard that name. And he plays for Auburn, doesn't he, son Jake? Tate Johnson. So y'all pray for him. Uh, Judy Whittemore is in the hospital with several complicated health issues. So we're grateful for Joyce, and we're grateful for Miss Becky. And they, they let me know that this morning, that Miss Judy went into the hospital. Miss Betty Keaton is at Stewart House now. And we need to continue to pray for the families of Malin Lane and Novice Smith. So everything's on for this evening, including choir at 5. Catherine, will you close us after Mr. Wayne announces his Bible study? <laughs> 